Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. How many of our listeners, I wonder, have ever dreamt of being a footballer? Those unmistakable sounds of the football stadium and the thrill of being on the pitch, running towards the goal, the goal opening up, seeing a moment, you shoot, you score! The dream job, no doubt, for many a child and young adult all the way around the world. And for a lucky few, this dream becomes a reality. I think if you do score, everything goes out the window. You're so happy, you don't know what to do with yourself. That's Jack Stacey. He's a fullback for Bournemouth AFC in the Championship. That's the second highest level of English football, one step below the Premier League. For me, I'm, I'm a defender. I don't score many. So when I do, I just I run around like a headless chicken, to be honest. There's, there's nothing planned. And I run around and probably slide for a little bit. Yet football brings with it much more than the glory of a goal. For many, there's the stardom, the glamour, and famously, the sizable paychecks. When you're younger, you play football because you love it. But when you get to 16, 17, and you're, you're training with first-team players and you're hearing he's earning this amount or X amount, then, then it starts to almost click in your head, this is a business and there's the potential to earn some good money from doing the thing that you love. What is it actually like earning the pro player's salary? How do players manage these large financial windfalls at such a young age? I think most of us would struggle to believe that there could be any downsides. But if you're paid hundreds of thousands of pounds per week, even you are not immune to financial problems. Over this two-part podcast special, we'll be hearing how professional footballers find themselves facing a whole host of financial pitfalls, dramas and obstacles that are pretty unique to the profession, especially considering the average retirement age is around 35. And you might be surprised there are some really useful tips that us mere mortals who aren't sports stars can learn from these high flyers. It's a ruthless industry and... Once you, you've lost your value to the club on the pitch, then normally that's, that's the end of it. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast about personal finance and investing from the Financial Times. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. This is the first half of a Money Clinic special two-parter on the finances of footballers. Keep listening. 
I'm going to be speaking to one of the legendary names in English football, none other than Sol Campbell, who'll be sharing how he manages his finances and what sort of things younger players should try to avoid. Over this week and next, we'll also be hearing about a near-death experience, an unexpected tax bill for nearly £50,000, and why footballers have come to be paid such eye-watering sums. But before we hear from Sol, I wanted to get to know a bit more about Jack. My mum and dad have got videos of me when I was maybe two, three years old, just with a little inflatable ball, just kicking it around. I think ever since I, I remember, since I was a young kid, it's I've always had a ball with me or I've been, I've been playing foot with my dad or, or my friends. Jack started playing for his local team age six, signing a contract with a club at age nine. You'll come back the next year and some of your friends that you played with the last year, that they, they hadn't been kept on. And it's only when you're a little bit older that you find out the club had got rid of them because they didn't deem them good enough. Luckily, Jack had the talent to see him through. When he was 16, he started on a football scholarship, earning £100 a week. What was it like getting your first paycheck? So we'd get paid every Wednesday. And I remember um, there was me and three other friends and we, we went straight into Reading Town Centre I think I bought um, a Ralph Lauren tracksuit or something along those lines. But yeah, it, it was it was in and out within the same day, I'll say that. I was thinking, remember, I got to the end of the two years and I'd worked out how much I'd earned over that two years. And I looked in my account and there was nothing left. So whatever I'd earned, back then I'd, I'd spent it all. But Jack wasn't just playing football. Unlike most of his peers who get their post-16 qualifications through a sports BTEC, Jack stayed on at his school one day a week to finish his A-levels. So for me, it was almost uh, insurance to have my A-levels just in case. My plan was almost to give everything into football for the two years and to aim for a professional contract. But if I didn't have that, then I would have my A-levels to fall back on. Meanwhile, with his head in his books, age 17, Jack signed his first pro contract with a League Two team. That's a couple of leagues below the championship. In League Two, the average salary is probably, let's say, £40,000 a year. So it's, it's good money. But obviously, within football and the way people see footballers, it, it, it's nowhere near what people would imagine it to be. League One is maybe similar to that. And when, once you get to the Championship and the Premier League, that's when the money is maybe closer to what people would perceive footballers to earn. While Jack started living the life of a pro footballer, he never gave up on his studies. Maybe about 18 months after I'd finished my A-levels, I, I wasn't quite at the place I'd want to be in my professional career. I was out on loan in League Two. And I was starting to think that maybe I wasn't going to reach the heights that I wanted to. My, my priority was always my professional career. Living in a wooden lodge on a golf course, he was deprived of Wi-Fi and all the entertainment options that come with that. Before that, I used to come home from training and do what the, the typical footballers seemed to be doing, which was play FIFA or, or watch Netflix. Because I couldn't do that, it made me almost look into different options. And that's when I came across the, the Open University. Jack is now six years into a business and economics degree at the Open University, juggling his assignments with match days. Alongside his studies, Jack continued to work his way up through the divisions of the English football leagues. It was only a couple of years ago that he signed with Bournemouth AFC. There was once that we were playing Chelsea when we were in the Premier League. We beat them 1-0. All of the, the players were going into London for a team meal, almost as, as a celebration. And I was back an hour and a half after after the final whistle went, we played in front of 55,000 people. I was sat in my mum's living room um, writing a business assignment. So, yeah, that, that wasn't great. At the time, the club was in the Premier League. 
And this is when Jack started earning much bigger bucks. There's some players in the, in the Premier League that are on £200,000 a week. I think the average is around 50000 I was at Bournemouth, so we're a smaller team, so our, our average would have been a lot less. But for a Premier League player, I think the average is £50,000 a week. And how did it feel when you made it onto a team in the Premier League? It was my dream come true since I was a young boy, so it's something I, I love doing. And, and to be paid to do it is obviously a bonus. And when you first did start getting those bigger paychecks, I mean, d- did you have any similar indulgences to your Ralph Lauren tracksuit that you bought when you were 16? <laughs> I think the first one is a bit um, stereotypical, but it, w- it was a new car. But also I think that if you give 17, 18, 19-year-olds or, or, or young men uh, large amounts of money, it's, it's almost human nature. That may be so, but what was it like for players who started out a few decades earlier? Everybody goes through that, you know, as a youngster, you, you want your fast cars, you want your nice cars, and that's that's normal, the, you know, and not just footballers do that, it's, you know, if you've got the money, most a lot of people do that. Recognise that voice? That's football legend Sol Campbell, one of many famous footballer friends I have on speed dial. Just kidding. Sol is not just a renowned former England player with his iconic never-ending slide tackle, there are many strings to his bow. Since retiring from his career, aged 37 in 2012, he has been the manager of two different clubs and a vocal campaigner against the lack of black managers within sport, especially football. He also runs a property development and furniture design business with his wife and has even dabbled in politics, putting himself forward as a Conservative candidate for London Mayor in 2016. And on top of all that, he's passionate about his finances and financial education. As an 18-year-old, not so much when I started, but definitely now, you, you really got to watch yourself and you got to kind of manage the finances. It wasn't there completely when I was growing up. You either were savvy or you were lucky you had a really good agent to kind of make sure the money went to good places and something for the future. But if you didn't have maybe the traditional, you know, buying your house and go from there and buying a nice car and, and sometimes spending too much money, and, and in the end, you can lose a lot of money. Like a great deal of footballers, Sol doesn't come from a very wealthy background. You know, I didn't have much money growing up. As a young boy, the financial pressures were massive. And so you had to make do, you had to... You know, I remember I had these pair of trainers and there was a massive hole in the bottom because I was always playing football. But I had to put cardboard in, in the bottom of it for at least a couple of weeks until I had enough money together to buy another pair of trainers that probably lasted another couple of months. And today were busted as well, playing football all the time. Despite his humble beginnings, Sol has always been keenly interested in his finances. I'm from East London, Plasto, Stratford. Nine, nine brothers, two sisters. And um, I must have been about nine, ten, year, ten years old, max, ten years old. I was sitting upstairs and um, I used to get the papers. And the local paper, uh, New York Recorder, and the, um, I think it's the Stratford Express. And I used to look at the numbers and I used to look at the houses and I used to look at all the um, the postcodes. I used to kind of try to match them and see how low I can go to buy a house in my area or, you know, or a flat in my area. And I'll look at the road, I'll look at the money, I'll look at the postcode. It's, it's amazing. That was my first kind of kind of um, checking out numbers and, and relationship between numbers and postcodes. And, and also I was looking at the bedrooms and how many bedrooms? Oh, that got two... Vi- I used to do that just naturally. I couldn't afford to buy a house. Well, I was going to say, this would be like the, the mid-80s. Yeah, yeah, this is like mid-80s, yeah. What what was a, you know, a, a two up, two down in yeah. your part yeah, of yeah. East London worth yeah. then? 
You could, if it was on Romford Road, you could get a flat for about 30, 25, 30 grand, which probably now would be like 300. We'll be hearing in the second part of this Money Clinic special how Sol has harnessed his early interest in numbers and turned it into a pretty financially successful career for himself, even post-football. But not everyone has been as savvy as Sol. After being in the industry for so long, he has witnessed a whole gamut of troubles that his teammates have run into with their finances. So what was it like when Sol started out in the late 80s? Just like Jack, he became a pro footballer when he was a teenager. A couple of decades ago, however, money in football just wasn't quite the same. Back in the days when I was um, playing, um, we didn't really talk about the finances uh, uh, in depth as, uh, as they're doing now. It's not just the conversations about money in the locker room that have changed. It's the size of the pay packets. I was slightly different. I weren't earning telephone numbers when I started. Um, I only came into that kind of level, you know, 25, 26. Now, I might be a money expert, but I'm certainly not a football expert. During my conversations with Sol and Jack, I found myself wondering, where is all of this money coming from in football? And why has it changed so much over the past few decades? To help answer a few of my questions, I spoke to Daniel G., a sports lawyer, podcaster, and author of Dumb Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts. So, Daniel, talk me through where all of this money in football comes from. The way that I always look at the football ecosystem is that the players are very much in the centre of the industry. But effectively, what is paying those players' salaries is ultimately customer and fan subscriptions. That's customer subscriptions to watch matches on Sky... BT Sport and Amazon Prime. And those companies pay huge amounts for the broadcast rights to those games. Over the last three-year right cycle for just Premier League matches globally, the Premier League has earned upwards of £9 billion, which is obviously a huge sum. And what about teams outside the Premier League? There is an our solidarity payments that the Premier League pays to the Football League, but there are also sort of other solidarity payments depending on uh, which league those clubs are in, which can range from a few million pounds per season to, to less significant amounts. Let's cast our minds back a couple of decades when money in football wasn't so astronomically large. The first big Premier League deal was in 1992 when effectively there was a breakaway and more money wanted to be kept by the top clubs. And what Sky effectively did was come in and request exclusivity, which meant that the whole of the Premier League went behind effectively a paywall. So back when Seoul started his career in the late 80s, these huge sums coming in through broadcasting deals just didn't exist. We forget as well that um, you know Sol Campbell was probably for quite some time probably one of the highest paid footballers because of the relatively controversial free transfer move that he made from Spurs to Arsenal. There was no transfer fee, which meant presumably that he was probably paid significant amounts in context for his day. Obviously, those deals were in the hundreds of millions. Now we're talking about the significant billions of pounds. And um, that evolution has obviously then spread into what clubs can now afford to pay players, which is obviously astronomical sums. These huge sums aren't just coming from the broadcasting rights. It's usually a three-pronged approach. It is broadcasting, commercial match day, and then sponsorship-related matters. 
Daniel says some sponsors have paid upwards of 30 or 40 million pounds for front-of-shirt sponsorship at some of the top clubs. What then happens is the Premier League becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, the more money that comes into the Premier League, the clubs are able to buy better players, offer bigger wages, the attractiveness of the Premier League grows as a result. So that's where the money is coming from. Now, back to Seoul to tell us what it's actually like earning a footballer's salary and what the potential pitfalls are. Seoul says the biggest moment in a footballer's life is getting that first big contract. The real jump from from thousands to hundreds of thousands, uh, depending on the level you are. I think the first big four or five-year contract, um, it's a real jump and it's like, wow, this is amazing, this is incredible, but... You know, I've got to make sure, you know, I do do the right things because I've seen other people have their big five-year contracts and then after that, drop off and they're only 25. But with these contracts come a lot of money. And that's where the problems can begin. There are some guys now 18 years old, 17 years old, and they're earning £10,000 a week um, and, and more. So... When it comes to that level, you really got to, you know, watch yourself because you can easily lose yourself. The day Sol and I chatted was just after Paul Merson's BBC documentary came out, showing how many top footballers have suffered from huge gambling addictions. The difference between, you know, you're scoring a goal, the buzz you get from scoring a goal, or, you know, clearing the ball off the line if you're, you know, the defender or, or saving a penalty, the difference between that and, and taking, you know, taking drugs or, or having, you know, a massive bet. I'm, I'm not too sure. I mean, there is, there is a, some type of a link there. There is that kind of adrenaline rush. But despite this link, gambling has never been a temptation for Seoul. My mum and dad used to bet a lot, and um, and also I was too young. And even even when I got to the age that I could go in one of the, it, I just never really kind of um, it never got me really. My mum and dad betted on on when they were alive on anything that had four legs, you know, <laughs> horses and their dogs. But um, yeah, I I didn't I didn't get the bug. Soul might have avoided the gambling bug. But there are a lot of other potentially rocky moments in a footballer's career. Divorce, I was surprised to hear, counts as one of the biggest ones. I think 60-70% of uh, of players get divorced before the 35 and after 35 is, I think it's up to 80%. So <laughs> you've got a chance of getting divorced uh, or, or separated and there's a big chunk of money gone. But there's also the way you plan your finances. Now, footballers are surrounded by all sorts of structures. There's their club, their agent, family, friends, and often financial advisors. Sol says a lot of how you fare financially comes down to the quality of the people you have around you. If you have a good head on your, on your shoulders and you've got good people around you, around you you're okay, but if you if you haven't got that, you can end up losing so much money, and um, in in the end, you you know, time you're 25 and 27, 28, you've got you actually got no investment other than your house. Finding a trusted financial advisor is a difficulty that many players have fallen into in the past. Not all, not all that glitter is, is gold. Sometimes some of the good deals are just look amazing. Oh, what I'm going to get, you know, amazing kind of returns on that. That's the thing when you've got maybe the financial advisor is not compromise, but leaning towards a fee 
in, in a particular way. And uh, it might not be the best kind of thing for you. This question of trust is something that Bournemouth player Jack Stacey admits having grappled with over the course of his career. Now, Jack is lucky to have had financial guidance from his parents who encouraged him to buy a property early on. But when he signed with Bournemouth two years ago and started earning the big bucks, of course he bought his fancy car, as we heard earlier, but he also decided it was time to get a proper financial plan in order. I was so wary that it was hard for me to trust that someone would be acting in my best interests. And that ultimately resulted in me just delay and delay and delay and choosing one because I was almost wary of and I'd heard the stories of players in the past that had been taken advantage of. Jack got recommendations through family and friends, then saw a couple of advisors to compare them and choose the right one for him. Something I'd say is always a smart move. But how do you draw up a financial plan when you're a footballer? One of the unique things about being a sports star, or any athlete in fact, is that your career span is incredibly short. How does that affect Jack's financial plan then? We sort of worked around the basis that I would play for another 10 years, uh, best case scenario, and, and we set a 10 year time frame between us. So, so each month I will have a direct debit that goes into investing in stocks and shares, first the ISA and then just a general investment account. And then we talked about other things, maximizing pensions, VCTs as well. We have a high attitude to risk where we can risk a little bit more and we won't need the money until hopefully, like I said, retire around 34 years old. That, that is maybe a typical sports person's career. Retiring age 34. That's what Jack has to plan for. But what if something happens and he gets injured? His career is entirely dependent on his physical condition, which could change at any point. You're always potentially one tackle away from, from never being able to play the sport again. So that's something that we, when we do go out to the pitch, we put our bodies on the line. But it's almost something that you have to bear in mind when, when planning for the future that, that, that this could happen. So how do you plan for a financial life after football when you don't know when your career will end? Even if you are raking in hundreds of thousands every week, if you're living the lifestyle that goes with that and spending the money, there won't be much left to last you beyond the age of 35. When you look at it, you know, someone starts at 18, they could be done by 30. Um, and then half of that it could be building up to their big contracts. And they might even have six years, you know, seven years if you're lucky. And some of them are lucky and, and they do 20 years and go on. But not everyone's earning that type of money. Unless you've got, you know, 100 million in the bank, 100 million euros, 100 million dollars, 100 million pounds in the bank. But not everyone's got that by the end of the, uh, their 35. And then there's the issue of what you actually do when your career on the pitch has come to an end. It's a scary place because you don't know what to do because nothing, now you've got to function on your own. You haven't got the football club to help you, you know, organise your day. You've got to organise your own day. You've really got to look after yourself because when it stops, it really does stop. I mean, the, you know, some clubs are really ruthless. So like, on to the next. Bye, you've had, you've had your time, see you later. And you're on your own. You really are for the first time for like 15, 20 years. A lot of ex-players do speak about the the struggle of when you do retire, you almost lose a little bit of your identity. And football's all I've done since I was a young player, so I'll obviously miss playing. Um, it's going to have a massive impact, something that you've played since you were six years old and, and you get to an age where you're not able to do that anymore. And I'm a little bit anxious about that, yeah. Next week on Money Clinic, we hear how deals footballers made through their financial advisors have come back to haunt some players. 
you trusted the people that were telling you what to do because they were they were your investment managers and they were beyond investment managers Claire they were they were friends they ate with us they drank with us they socialized with us they went on holiday with people they were in the players lounge after games they they were living the premier league lifestyle without without the risk a near death experience turns a player's life upside down i was bedridden if you like barely able to walk up and down the stairs that was when I had the tax authorities at the house for this debt. Plus, Sol Campbell shares his insider tips on how he manages his finances and what he wishes he had done differently. That's it for Money Clinic this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, get in touch. You can email me, our address is money at ft.com, or DM me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced by Persis Love. Our assistant producer is Talia Augustidis. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner, and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.